Welcome to Queers Rate Stuff, the podcast where we rate and review queer representation across all kinds of cultural creations. We'll chat about what it means to us as gay people and what we can learn through analysing queer representation. And of course, we'll give each cultural creation a rating. We acknowledge the Yagara people and the Torbal people as the traditional custodians of Minjin, Brisbane, and the Federated Indians of Grayton Rancheria, the lands on which we're located and recording this podcast. We pay our respects to Elders past, present, and emerging. A little about ourselves. I'm Claire. I'm an aspiring queer novelist, creative writing student, and physiotherapist living in Brisbane, Mianjin. I met KN when I was 17 as I was learning to be comfortable with being an out lesbian, and he's been a very important friend for me ever since. And I'm KN. I'm a former aspiring queer screenwriter who now makes ads for a living. I grew up with Claire in Sydney and we shared a special bond, despite the fact that I've been living in the States for nearly a decade. Okay, on to today's episode, where we'll be rating two queer films from Australia, one old and one new. We'll be looking at The Set from 1970 and Of an Age from 2022. Let's get into it. The set stars Sean McEwen as Paul Lawrence, Hazel Phillips as Aunt Peggy and Rod Molinar as Tony Brown. They're the main characters. Uh, It was a great starting role for Hazel Phillips, um, who I think gives a legendary performance. Hazel Phillips was born in 1929 in London. She's still alive. She's 93. She was a 1967 Gold Logie Award winner, um, but was until this movie just a TV personality. This is her first acting role. And she then went on to play possibly the world's first lesbian character on Australian TV show number 96 in 1973. So it really launched her. Yeah. Interesting because it's not really a film that – either of us had known about before this, um, but yet it seems so pivotal in so many people's careers. Yeah, yeah. It's not, I wouldn't say it's well-recognised or well-loved. Possibly it, some people have referred to it as a cult, but I feel like that's very generous. It, um, so the story, the plot of this film, it's about the emerging artistic and gay world of the late 1960s Sydney through the eyes of a young man, um, main character is Paul Lawrence. So I'd, I'd say an interesting place to start is the opening scene, which is a very extreme close-up of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation um, between a man and a woman. So I should have, that's spoiler alert, it, you just see a mouth on a mouth very gently embracing. Um, so you really actually think they're kissing, but it then is revealed to be CPR occurring on a really crowded beach. Um, so I thought that was a great end because it was a real things are not what you seem like, bit of a um, misdirect from the get-go and also very Australian to be um, on a beach. Um, yeah, it's kind of reminiscent of that sunbather photo, you know, that iconic Australian photo. Um, but I did enjoy how intensely close they were, the camera was on the flash was uh, pretty (laughs) erotic in that sense. Yes, I would agree. Yes, that's right. We also meet immediately the main character of Paul Lawrence and his cousin Kim, who is being rescued on the beach. And then we quickly meet Kim's mother, Auntie Peg, who I've mentioned, played by Hazel Phillips. In my eyes, is definitely the star of the movie. And look, there are multiple snippets of stories in this movie that aims to reflect the colourful society of Sydney that's becoming, and we explore it through Paul's aspirations to work in design. Uh, So he meets a mentor. um, Yeah, Murray Rosefield, interesting that it's an older female mentor. Um, So the 
woman has the power and she's a successful designer who happily takes him on as a protege. The movie feels quite choppy in terms of tone, moves on quite quickly. Um, as we get deeper into the movie, Paul is struggling with the pressures of his first job and trying to produce this set for Boronsky and he wants to show that he's a successful designer. Um, so he connects with Tony Brown from the very first scene, the hunky lifesaver, who's also an architecture student who decides to move in with Paul um, to help finish this job and they have two weeks to complete it. So this also feels a bit flimsy, this decision. And then we learn that Tony has a strong sexual appetite and then he has sexual relationships with nearly every character, um, including Paul. But that seems to lack a lot of emotional depth. And then Tony suddenly leaves um, their living situation quite abruptly to be with a prostitute. The movie then takes a dramatic turn when Paul is um, feels lonely as well as really stressed about the imminent failure of his job and he attempts suicide. Tony comes back into Paul's house and sees Paul on the brink of death, um, but instead of rescuing him, he mocks him. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's kind of a real twist from the very first scene when he rescues the girl, but um, hmm, he's no, leaving. No CPR. no CPR for... No, he has the skills. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, double standard. Um, but fortunately, um, Boronsky, the famous artist, arrives to save Paul. And then after a hospital recovery, um, Paul's work is well received by the director who arrives to Sydney Airport um, and the movie ends with a pool party on the harbour. In terms of emotional connection to these characters or really understanding um, why they why they did their um, actions, it was a bit unclear. But there was a lot of great sex scenes. We had Paul and his first girlfriend, Cara. That was an opening sex scene, lots of bare-chested, you know, very, yeah, camera not shy of skin of um, men or women. Um, but then we also that have... Was at a, that was at um, a beach as well, like a public beach. Yes. Um, which I feel like was must have been quite daring and uh, bold to, to film that. That's true. In public. Yeah. Very full frontal, middle of the day. Yeah, no. You didn't see see other people there, but um, you're right, very daring to choose that. Um, So that was a, yeah, great. (laughs) I thought that was great. Um, I really liked it when the waves, when they were running around in the water and the waves kept hitting them. Um, And then that wasn't the only sex scene. We also got um, Tony hitting on Paul's girlfriend, Lee, a character who just pops up and abruptly leaves but is seduced by by Tony. Tony seduces Aunt Peg or maybe she seduces him, it's unclear. Um, Tony and Paul get together and also Aunt Peggy and the famous director, artist, sorry, Boronsky get together. Another one of my favourite scenes is her and him running around an art studio also in the nude. So that's pretty much the sum up of the movie. I've got a little bit to say about the context of the time, but anything you wanted to mention, KN? What, how did you find the story? I think for me, the, the film was difficult to follow in terms of um, character development because uh, the kind of spotlight on, on the characters really switch and take... Uh, take a lot of twists and turns without really any explanation. Um, there's a lot of like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened um, without really explaining why. So I guess the the film, um, while you know, very groundbreaking in showing all of these gay people and gay s- sex and um, you know nudity and and all that, um, I think it kind of falls a little on the most basic parts of storytelling, you know? Yeah. How did you feel about just the the kind of very basics of, of the film? Good, good question. I think, yeah, I'd have to judge it on two levels, like visual representation I enjoyed, 
but um, yeah, structure of the film, and I think you're right, being able to follow a story um, that I could emotionally connect to, um, and even as a gay person, you know, really looking for something to connect to um, was was hard. It actually took three watches. I finally worked out what happens at the beginning. So they're actually at Paul's house near the beach when, and that's and like the aunt is visiting. The, like the whole family are together and then they all leave to drive an hour back to Sydney. <laughs> like, I didn't get that at all. That's when everyone's together. The, the husband is like, I got to, we got to go. It really didn't come together in a way that the audience could understand. I guess that is, that is filmmaking. Like that's their job to actually let the audience understand what's going on. It, it felt to me that it was so they leaned in so much to that kind of storytelling that I wonder if um, they were doing that on purpose to make it feel more like, I don't know, like an impressionistic, more abstract portrayal of, of what happened and um, you were meant to just kind of go with the flow and be uncomfortable with not knowing everything. I feel like that would have been the excuse the director gave. Um, <laughs> but I think, I don't think that was intentional. And actors, like, no one's a dud. Um, I feel like someone, most likely the director, just let go of any hope of um, trying, to, trying to make sense of, like, trying to do something coherent. Right, yeah. What did you think of the gay themes that were coming through, especially in relation to what Australia was like during that time? Great question. Um, I think it was, yeah, the movie was very superficial and they superficially showed gays as part of everyday life and more fun than regular people I'd say so Paul's family was quite dull but you know when he embraced this high-powered you know artistic beautiful aesthetic world yeah gays are seen as colorful and diverse and party people um like what what do you think yeah I agree with you and I think that is validated by how the the sex I think between the characters um comes through in that we you know just visually we see we see all of the heterosex uh you know the the naked man and woman frolicking in the waves we see um uh aunt peg uh having Don't sex we? With Tony. <laughs> we see a lot of her body yeah um, we see a lot of the female naked body um, but when it comes to gay sex, whether that be uh, between two men, Tony and, and, and Paul, or um, this uh, lesbian sent to Italy, um, the camera cuts away very quickly. As soon as Tony and Paul kind of lie down on a bed, it's like next like we can't see any of this which i i mean i think for the time it was probably um pretty groundbreaking to see even show gay guys having sex certainly i think it played into what you're saying that uh there was still a lot of uh, kind of restrictions on um how far they could go yeah no you're right that it does feel very shy considering how much of the female body we saw that the tender moments between the two men are completely missing and it probably was added to the lack of emotional connection you felt for them. Yeah. And, and also I think the arc of all the gay people we see in the film is a little problematic because we, we see them, we see all these gay people as like partiers and, you know, the drag mm. queens are having a great time. That's not to love. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to the final takeaway and, and, ultimately what Paul, you know, Paul is this designer wanting to be part of this gay world, exploring his own sexuality. Ultimately at the end of the film, 
he has been designated as needing well he ends up with a woman ultimately and and not a man and he in fact you could argue his suicide is partly um maybe as a result of him spending too much time in the gay scene and too much you know he has this kind of revelation that maybe his actions leading up to that point have not been good because after his attempted suicide he suddenly becomes this like he rejects Tony and he becomes this like very straight edge, almost conservative guy in terms of like who he's with and how he delivers his work. And yeah, it's, it's almost like he had too much fun and that kind of drove him to a point of suicide. He had too much fun with the gays. It, they drove him to suicide. And as a solution to that, he had to, go back to the hetero world and leave the the hedonistic gaze behind. That's true. He, in terms of gay representation, if you were to really follow his story, things are not going well for him in his gay relationship and he is. it is what leads to his sadness and suicide and then, um, yeah, by the end when he's successful, he seems to have found his girlfriend again. So, yeah, it's like it's incompatible with success, which is not a good message for young gays or any gays or society gays can be themselves and successful (laughs) yeah and i think that that's the biggest problem with this film is that while it does show all the gay people and gay culture it does ultimately end with the the conclusion that this isn't a great thing for people and that it might be a fun brief moment but if you overindulge in it, you're going to end up wanting to kill yourself. I don't disagree, but I also think you're giving it credit for having a strong meaning when I don't think <laughs> it knows what it's trying to say. Um, so, yes, I don't. I think if you asked any anyone part of the film, I don't know that they would have said that is what they are trying that that's what they believe I think that but I definitely see that that is the message that came across but I I just don't get the impression that they were that's what they were aiming for yeah I hope that's (laughs) what was the intention of the film um well can I answer that by referring to the time the con the filmmaking Australia context. So in my research, I found that in the 1960s, it's known as the silent decade of Australian cinema, when less than 20 features were shot. So I would say that it was just trying to say something like and not necessarily a coherent message, just trying to get out there. And I think it's really interesting that it was only in the 1970s, that we had the Australian film Renaissance, um, thanks to support from the Prime Minister who developed Australian Film Development Corporation and supported by the Whitlam government that introduced the Australian Film Commission. Um, so that's when we started to see in the 1970s, we got Peter Weir doing Picnic at Hanging Rock. In, in 1975, we got Bruce Beresford doing The Getting of Wisdom, a queer film that we will review um 79 um so i think this director was just trying to do something the previous film he worked on was actually quite a racist movie with it's about um aboriginal society with two um well sri lankan actor kamal um as an aboriginal and a white actor um ed davro in blackface so um this was, I mean, this is when Aboriginal and civil rights were being finalised, So, but the representation was just so awful. Just a really, you know, first first attempt at in- inclusion. Um, so obviously flawed, um, but I think that they weren't, I don't know if they were trying to demonise gay people. What, what was your take? It might just be the writer's real lived experience of, what it's like being gay in the 60s in Sydney in that um, because you know it was it was kind of like a very uh, the 50s was so conservative and the 60s were kind of the first moments of of change 
that perhaps um, he was also experiencing both sides of it in that um, you could be freer and you could go out and see a drag show and party with other gays. But when you went home or when you thought about who you were going to marry and what your life would be like, um, it had to kind of follow the more heteronormative idea of Australian culture at the time. Um, and I could see that because, you know, even now, like there's still uh, a large, unfortunately a large chunk of society that um, still feels that way, you know? Um, so I can imagine back then it was the kind of prevailing attitude towards gay people. So even as a gay man, maybe um, the writer constructed the story to, to kind of reflect that reality. Yeah, you're right. There is, it doesn't seem like it's on the radar of imagine a world where you've got a committed, positive gay relationship. Like that's kind of not conceived of in the movie. That's a real, yeah, not, yeah. Yeah, it's like an obscure thing to be even thinking about. And especially in just how tormented that relationship is between Tony and Paul and how one-sided it is in terms of the power dynamics between like at first Paul is pursuing Tony and Tony is like evasive and kind of abusive. And then it, it kind of flips um, the other way around. Can I ask you, do you think that is something to be said for Paul? Because Tony makes this statement. He says, you don't understand. He says to Paul, you wouldn't know what to do with a woman like basically saying you're you're gay, um, maybe in today's like language, like you're a femme, or you're a bottom, or whatever, <laughs> um, and says I'm I'm just doing this for kicks. Like this is a choice for me, whereas you're stuck here. Um, so Tony seems to have the power when he says that, and Paul's quite sensitive. Um, but after t- after Paul. Paul's suicide attempt when it does change and he does get come into his power it seems like Paul becomes successful and Tony is rejected do you think there is something a little bit positive in that message that if you are too repressed in your like if you're too clinging to your masculinity and using that as a powerful tool that becomes a trap whereas if you're more in touch with your feelings and not looking to be, you know, just trying to have a genuine connection with someone, you're more likely to be successful. Is there a... Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it in terms of Tony's character. Like Tony's character is so flawed and I think he's flawed in many ways and and one of the ways he's flawed I think is what you're saying in terms of his like this desperate need to cling on to his hyper masculinity I think that that that's also a reflection of the Australian male um Mm. particularly around like mateship and needing to like drink excessively like the amount of beers that Tony (laughs) I feel like Tony's just like constantly drunk you know he rides a motorcycle and he goes and has sex with prostitutes Mm. like he's definitely checking off all the (laughs) stereotypes of a um a problematic male i guess well and the traditional bloke of australia like the celebrated version of a of a male in australia and that i think is an interesting contrast to paul who as you're saying is um much more aware of his feminine side, not so obsessed with like needing to be this stereotypical male, um, Australian male. Yeah. And it's almost like Tony is this contrast point to not only Paul, but also like all the other gay characters we see and and the drag queens and that whole gay life. Um, Tony's almost like the opposite end and trying to kind of act out what um, the opposite should be. Yeah. Um, okay, I think that's an interesting exploration. So maybe there's not a lot of hope between, of there's not a great portrayal of a relationship, but there is a positive, like upending of stereotypes of masculinity and the traditional Australian male um, in the movie. So I'm going to give it some credit for achieving that, even though it's just challenging the stereotypes and 
as well as challenging all the stereotypes of female sexuality, which I think was really brave. But I completely agree with what you're saying, that a gay relationship is still too far into from conception as a positive representation in this movie. Yeah, I think what you say is true in that it does shine a nice spotlight on the problems with Australian masculinity, as well as shining a light on the existence of gay people and drag in Sydney. But yeah, I mean, I think that that, that in itself is um, worth something. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, should we, would you give it a score out of five stars? Would you Margaret and David it? I think I would give it probably a, a two and a half out of five yeah, I, I really struggled with this, the narrative of it and just the, the, the very basics of filmmaking were very difficult to follow. And we didn't talk about this, but I feel like they overused so much music as well. It, just, it almost felt like a music video because it was just nonstop music throughout the whole film. You know, in my um, late, can I just say, Kay, in my latest watch, I noticed that it's actually complete silence, almost like a documentary, and then it's just intense sax- saxophone music. Um, and it really, yeah, it just, it, yeah, it feels documentary-like. It's just, it's like you're just a fly on the wall watching these people and then you're transitioning. Um, I can't even try to understand the intention behind that. I just... <laughs> I've really tried to think about it. Um, I think in some moments, like, they used the silence for dramatic effect, but definitely, like, there's no rationale for the music at all. And the music, like, didn't really relate to what was happening in the scene often. Uh, It was very distracting for me. Yeah. Well, if you give it two and a half stars, I'm look, I'm going to go with four stars because... For a weird black and white movie from the 1970s set in Sydney, I if you don't expect a story, it's fine. It's I think you, you, you can still get a lot out of it. <laughs> That's very generous of you, Claire. All right, should we move on? What's next yes. on the list? Straight over to um, our next movie. Do you want to introduce it? Yeah, so as a contrast to one of the first gay lesbian films made in Australia. We thought it would be fun to look at a more recent release and we decided to watch the film Of An Age, which was released uh, earlier this year in March 20. Of An Age is written, directed and edited by Goran Stalevsky. So the film is about the story of two men as they experience an intense but brief romantic connection. Uh, It follows Cole, played by Elias Anton, who just finished high school, and his chance encounter with Adam, played by Tom Green. Adam is a university grad student and brother of Cole's ballroom dance partner, Ebony, played by Hattie Hook. So the film begins in 1999, on the morning of Cole and Ebony's year 12 dance final but instead of getting ready ebony wakes up on a beach uh, after a big night out Uh, and during a frantic phone call to cole ebony tells cole to go find her brother adam and ask him to help drive and come pick her up so cole meets adam and they set off on a long drive to pick up ebony and this begins the 24 hours of their connection Uh, which turns out to be a pretty life-changing moment for both of them. Uh, Cole, he's fresh out of high school and seemingly never been with a boy or man before, starts off pretty apprehensive, whereas the older Adam uh, is much more comfortable with the connection. And then we see this connection build over this one fateful day as they return from picking up Ebony, and end up at a local house party later later that evening. However, their time is cut short uh, because Adam is flying to Argentina the next day to begin his post-grad degree. So then we move to Act 2, and it's 2010, 11 years later. And Colin and Adam find themselves coincidentally at the Melbourne Airport luggage carousel. Uh, They're back for Ebony's wedding, and it's the first time that they've seen each other since that fateful night. 
Cole is now living in Bristol and much more comfortable with himself and his sexuality, while Adam is now living in Guatemala. On the bus ride from the airport, they catch up, and seemingly their connection and conversation is flowing like their first encounter. They arrive at Adam's house where Ebony and her bridesmaids are getting ready, and it's here where Ebony's friend Rhiannon reveals, spoiler alert, that Adam is married. Cole tries to play it down, but it's clear the news uh, really affected him. Later at the wedding, the awkwardness between them continues. It's not until Cole leaves the wedding that Adam chases after him and they talk, and Cole confesses to Adam, quote, life froze to this one feeling. And Cole talks about how lucky he feels despite it all, because as he says, what other boy in Westonia got to experience this feeling? They return to Cole's hotel room where they hold each other in a very tender ending. So, Claire, what did you think about Of An Age? I was moved by the movie. I found it, yeah, really entertaining. I really enjoyed the clear time setting. I thought the 1999 vibe was really fun um yeah maybe there were just a lot of it was a fun but deeply emotional journey from the get-go i think cole was a really sensitive character even small elements just his panic and inability to function and um there was a lot of confusion at the start where he's on the phone and trying to find his dance costume and has to get ebony's danced costume i think it was great how vulnerable he was there was just a lot about his character to like um even his friendship with ebony he seems like such a lovely friend and as well as someone who's very deep and intellectual and living this migrant background, um, as well as in this w- working class suburb of Melbourne. So I yeah, loved the character, thought Adam was also pretty cute as well. I like, thought he was a really good love interest. Yeah, uh, now that just listening to you talk about it, I really have nothing bad to say about it. Look, I do have a small problem with the ending and with the female representation, but overall it, I and just after talking about the set, which had no storyline, um, yeah, it's actually really just such a sweet movie. Um, what what did you think, Kayan? Yeah, um, there was definitely a storyline. Uh, there was definitely a plot. Um, I think it definitely uh, moved me in in a lot of ways, um, especially when it came to um, this idea of of like what if. Um, I think that for a lot of people, we play these moments back in our lives of like, what if this connection with this person developed or or it played out in a different way? So I think that it captured that kind of feeling really well. Um, I will say this idea of a brief but intense romantic connection is a story device that I feel like has been played out a lot in cinema right now. You know, it falls into this whole genre of like the before sunrise, the weekend, uh, that whole premise where characters meet and they're not able to develop their relationship for whatever reason. Like it's always they have to leave or they're already with someone else. It seems to be that this is a recurring theme for a lot of people, that perhaps it's something that is like really real for for people that they have these kind of misconnections with people. For me, I've never experienced like a 24 hour whirlwind uh, connection with someone and and not being and, and then not being able to see them again so i don't i'm not able to really fully believe the uh the core premise of of the movie you know? yeah i don't think it's just you can i don't think it's um the fact that you haven't experienced it i think it's it is it does test believability um with the time gap with the they only know each other for these 24 hours and then 11 years later he's like seemingly hasn't met anyone in that time of being a young 20-year-old man and he acknowledges he's met a lot of boys but no one has come close to this one connection i do think that's not a not a good like i think that's <laughs> that speaks to a problem mental problem um of 
<laughs> of like just idealism or you know too much hopefulness and lack of reality I think um maybe and <laughs> being delusional and I think you need to um I think it's actually a problematic thing that we grew up with this like sex in the city looking I'm looking for the one I'm looking for my soulmate when you can really form relationships with lots of people um based on experience so yeah there is something that that doesn't connect with that part of the story I think um do you think you can yeah do you think you can still like this movie without believing that that part of it I think so I think if if you really enjoy romantic dramas and and just kind of let yourself be absorbed into the premise and, and and put that aside. I think you can really feel all the feels for for these characters. And I will say, perhaps one reason why it is believable is that it is a romance that they weren't able to play out. So I can I can understand that part. I can understand the having a really intense connection with someone and then not being able to follow through with it, and then dwelling on that and thinking what if um i can understand that part of it and and how you might after a long period of time still be like oh wow like what if we we had the chance to develop that and i think actually you're right it even makes me think of the movie carol which is like something gays have to face is these barriers that people aren't expecting them to get together and aren't saying oh do you like this person um, you really have to overcome that initial barrier to form a connection. Um, so it is rare to have that. And I think you've said you've never had this to that extent, but I, I think there is something about being gay and you do wonder about people, like you don't fully know your potential compatibility with someone. So there is often this question in your mind. I think being gay leads to having an active imagination of a love affair with people before you can actually experience it. Um, so there is something about this story that is relatable, even if that extent I think is extreme. Um, I think, yeah, there's definitely a, please enlighten me if you think this is a more a lesbian thing, but I mean, we all know the U-Haul joke and lesbians inventing this strong relationship early on. Um, that's, yeah, that's definitely a, a lesbian way of thinking, approach to relationships. Um, yeah, I think is because of that, um, that yeah. kind of need, that almost necessity to, you know, you're so hopeful that you go in quite strong at the start, um, even if it's just in your imagination. What can you? Is there something in that that you can relate to as a as a gay man? Well, I think I think also the context of where the film is set, I think, plays into yeah. it. Um, especially thinking of Cole as coming from this immigrant family who are seemingly very conservative and and um, not approving of Cole's sexuality, his uncles. Uh, Effectively disowned family, yeah. His mother as well, not just him. Right, yeah, and his mother had to move out of Melbourne to Bendigo. So there are definitely these other factors at play, and it's, it sounds like Watsonia, which is I'm not from, I'm not familiar with Melbourne, but it, it's actually a real suburb in Melbourne. About um, an hour from Altona, I hear. <laughs> yes, they'll never make it back to the dance competition time. <laughs> Um, but it is definitely more of the suburban um, working class neighborhood of Melbourne. And I think growing up there, especially in 1999, where gay marriage was not legal in Australia, where we had Prime Minister John Howard, uh, you know, amending the Marriage Act to, to clarify that it's between marriage is between a man and a woman uh, to exclusion of all others. Remember that? Uh, and that, you know, that happened like right then. So, um, yes, it was a, it was a vote winner to be divisive, to, to marginalize the gays. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and you know, all of that is happening as well as the simple fact that Cole is in high school and had just, you know, he's just finished high school and we all know, you know, even in the most accepting of, of context is like coming to terms with your sexuality in high school is very very difficult i can see how for cole this was such a huge deal for him because this was 
probably the first time he's ever had sex with a man and the first time he's ever mm. felt any kind of love for anyone or like deep attraction to anyone what about and, himself like being loved like feeling another right man? yeah yeah he it, you know he's not been able to experience that kind of, of physicality and also that kind of emotional connection from someone of the same gender as him so yeah i can see how that was like and and you know we supposedly you you all everyone remembers their first time <laughs> uh so maybe I mean, this was maybe because you know you're right i also have not had the luxury of an, a brief encounter not followed by me trying to pursue it and then having a collapse <laughs> um that's right maybe if you just do preserve the the beautiful early moments um you can really just glorify them and and honor them you know maybe it's a really sweet story that i'm <laughs> the other problem i have with it in terms of this relationship is I really struggle buying that Adam would be so fascinated and attracted to Cole because Adam is meant to be this uh, grad student doing his PhD in linguistics, kind of man of the world, you know, moving to Buenos Aires. And he's like in his mid-20s, I guess, if he's doing his PhD. Didn't I thought there was some moment when he said he's twenty one or yeah during his post grad in his early twenties when when I was in my early twenties I certainly was not trying to date an eighteen year old. I will interrupt you, KM, because I completely agree. But Cole has something special because he's the best friend of Adam's younger sister, so he's like quite. There's an intimacy there already. I think Adam knows that. Like he can see what a good friend, like the the fact that they're on this rush to rescue her, is how they bond. So I think there's a like it's not just any gross seventeen year old boy. He's not looking to be impressed by Cole, and then he kind of wins him over with how genuine and sweet he is. And but it was but Cole did confess that he lied. He, <laughs> he lied and hadn't actually read that book. Well, and isn't there something to be said about that when someone sees you as amazing as well that can make you love them like when Cole's kind of looking up to him being like oh wow like I really value like you're such a worldly person I value you for your taste in music and your knowledge of books and you know there's something I think I I don't have a huge problem with their with them as yet interested in each other Mm, okay yeah um I can I can I can see that I can see the the real connection and and also sometimes you don't know when or who you're going to be attracted to you know it just kind of happens sometimes and i i've definitely experienced that before of just being kind of like surprised at who i'm attracted to you know um and how it changes as you get to know someone and and kind of learn more about them and, and talk to them and um they, Cole and Adam, had this 24 hours where they spent most of that mm-hmm. 24 hours together in a very close, confined space. And there was actually one of the similarities that I saw between Of An Age and the set was this kind of almost a comfortable, extreme close-up on their faces, like especially in the car with Cole and Adam when they were driving to Altona. The camera was always like kind of right up and we're feeling very intimate in their space. Mm. Um, and in the same way as you, we, we, we talked about in the set where, you know, it was like very focused on the body parts and the, the flesh, you know. Yes. I would say, though, that I my strong images of Cole's pimply face in that car <laughs> and I look, I really felt a lot of sympathy, like, he was a real vulnerable character like I think and it was a really good transformation when you see him at the wedding he's so handsome I haven't even mentioned how beautiful he was on the dance floor as well like I really loved that moment um whereas yeah so I think those close-ups were not so flattering of Cole whereas the the yeah (laughs) female body parts on the set I just was really taken with yeah just how how not shy the camera was like I 
appreciated the set not being sneaky in any way like you saw those bodies you saw those boobs but i i yeah i think it was nice that there there was this like availability to see (laughs) just it wasn't there was no kind of shyness around showing the body Hmm. let's talk about the female characters in the film for a moment Mm -hmm. Um, okay which female characters (laughs) would they be (laughs) well so I guess the, the leading female character would be Ebony, who is Cole's dance partner and Adam's sister. For me, Ebony, you know, we meet Ebony as this kind of hot mess on the beach and after a wild night out where she talks wild about how night, she did. Wild she night did out her. or was she sexually abused? Will we ever know? I don't think she she even knows. I mean, she talks about how she did a, a hyphen length of speed. Uh, <laughs> and it's the way the franticness of the way she was talking on the phone to mm. Cole, it certainly sounded like she was still high from that, perhaps. Um, but, yeah, I mean, God, she had, a, she had a rough night waking up on that beach, missing a shoe, missing a bag with the waves lapping her. I thought it was a dead body at the beginning and she was so vulnerable really interesting that they both showed started with a female in distress on the beach both movies and Cole was coming to save her but he was a long way away I really do wonder what happened to her that night before the film did not seem that sympathetic to Ebony's situation no one seemed to really care that much about her situation although i do appreciate the boys going to rescue her but but i think that leads to the main issue here around the female characters and that they're primarily just used to facilitate the relationship between the two guys and i don't think any of the female characters really got the depth that they deserved especially in, ebony in in this movie in just yeah. of an age or you think in both movies I mean, in in the set, we see a very uh, empowered Aunt Peggy, Aunt Peg, right? I agree. She is the triumph. She does have a great character arc. I was just thinking about how Paul's mentor dies so suddenly. Like, she is also a device that is, you know, like he enters the world (laughs) and she's gone. Yeah, they needed to kind of make way for his story arc to continue. And I feel like that's the same fate that Ebony got in that Mm, she she brings them together (laughs) yeah she needed to have her wild night out to bring them together and then she needed to have the wedding to bring bring them them back back um you're also forgetting like possibly my favorite moment but when they are (laughs) making so much fun of her performance as lady Macbeth and her acting aspirations um but like it is so funny when adam is impersonating her lady Macbeth. um performance um but yeah she's just like that's kind of one of the closest moments like they're laughing at her expense um yeah they they find it so unbelievable that she would even contemplate going to nida for acting (laughs) yeah like that's her dream um (laughs) so um bit yeah bit cruel to the female characters and it was also his cousin kim who was on the beach and rescued by tony that in the set that Tony is then going out with Kim and that also brings them together. So you really need a just blank female character to bring two men together. Like there's, it's like a reverse Bechtel test. It's like, can two men just come together without <laughs> going through a woman that they're related to? Yeah. Yeah. That, that is interesting that both of these films used women like that as um, facilitators effectively. And, I don't know. I'm sure you could talk a lot about how this reflects the patriarchy. And I don't know. I, I, I like to think that in of an age, it was more that, you know, the focus was on these two gay men and, um, yeah, I can forgive it. The plot device. Yeah, no, it's, it's fine. And well, I would have liked them both to have a bit more curiosity about what happened to Ebony on the beach. Mm. Can we, Talk for a second about the opening, I guess you would call it a prologue, where we see Cole on the phone to Ebony 
but uh, Cole, uh, sorry, Ebony's mother picks up and tells Cole that Ebony is in Bali. Mm-hmm. And then later in the film, when Cole returns to Ebony's house for the wedding, he apologizes to Ebony's mother for calling so late that time. And, and he says he got his time zones mixed up. What do you think was going on? Where, where was that prologue set? Was that? Uh, well, it's at the beach. So was it the beach that she washed up at? Like, was he randomly there at Altona Beach just thinking of her? Yeah. I, I don't know. I couldn't really get my head around it because it, so it said on the, there was like a church board that said yeah. like 2010. Uh, so it was the same year that and, Ebony got married. And early in the year. It seemed almost to be at New Year's. Yeah. Yeah. And Cole had talked about in the bus ride with Adam that he had just been back to Melbourne visiting his family just a few months earlier. Mm. So I imagine it was during that period when he was back in Melbourne, he called Ebony. And for me, I think what Cole was doing was, in fact, he was trying to speak to Adam. Yeah. And when he returned to Melbourne, he wanted to see Adam and potentially rekindle this thing, uh, but Ebony wasn't there. Do you think Ebony knows more? Like there was this really special moment after they danced together when Cole's leaving the wedding, when they have a meaningful look at each other. Do you think that Ebony knew Cole loved Adam and wanted them to reunite? Do you think there was, yeah, do you think there's anything to that? Yeah, potentially. It's hard to, it's hard to deduce from the film like what what was shown to us, um, but um, you know Ebony and and Cole are supposed to be best friends, so you'd think they'd at least have one conversation about uh, what happened that night, right? Yeah, exactly about falling in love with Adam. Yeah, I just wonder if Ebony thought I will bring them back together as a yeah. I wonder if she thought that was you know valuable. Like I wonder if that was a bit of a gift of her to Cole to to bring them together. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, potentially. And then in the final scene after the wedding, we see them back at Cole's hotel room and Cole says he doesn't want to have sex at that moment and Adam says that he doesn't either and all Adam wants to do is to hold each other and the film ends with Adam saying to Cole, my beautiful boy. What did you think about how the film ended? I thought it was a lovely tender moment, but possibly those words felt a little on the nose and a bit unnecessary. I think I probably would have just, because it's, it just sounds a little um, infantilizing of Cole. Um, I think it would have just have been, yeah, nice just to have a bit of silence or just <laughs> have heavy breathing. Um <laughs> yeah um but i i think the image of them two together was not was actually really beautiful um like just to because it's you know yeah it's just their their close bond and their um it, it was actually quite a positive representation of of queer love and how like deeply they still felt for each other regardless of the circumstances yeah and i think that that's that's a good point you raise because so much of gay culture is embedded in this idea of gay hookup culture. Um, and it's stereotypically known as this like very superficial and physical mm. thing when two, when, you know, straight, like gay strangers <laughs> meet up and have sex. Um, but for Colin Adam, it wasn't this superficial thing and it was, you know, calling into question this whole stereotype around gay hookup culture, which I thought was um was quite nice. And the fact that they both said in that final scene that they didn't want to have sex, I thought was um, quite a nice kind of rethinking of this idea that, you know, all gay guys do is just have sex. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, 
And I think what was also nice is it kind of left the door open for potentially a sequel um, of uh, like what could happen after this point. Do we revisit their relationship in another 11 years? That's true. You don't know, you don't know anything about Adam's partner and the stability of that. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, almost a little bit Brokeback Mountain. They're just, they're so close together, removed from their other worlds. They're, they're you know, in a whole different country to where they'd normally live. So you're right, there's, there's a big question mark about the future. And it is, it does subvert the stereotype of um, sex without emotion. It's, it shows emotion without sex. Um, he's definitely, yeah, challenging us as an audience and, and trying to, I think, open our minds to what is, yeah, what is gay love and what it can look like. And it's, it's should, I don't know if we've mentioned that it's really beautiful. Like that scene, they look beautiful in their white shirts, the sunrise. Um, it's, yeah, it's just a very sweet scene on the, um, on the bed. They, they look very comfortable together. It's. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I really like that. Um, and I think the, the other, the final thing for me that I, I really enjoyed about this film was um, how the director was able to weave in so much of his own culture into into the film and, and present this totally different representation of Australia uh, when you compare it to the set. Uh, and it's it's really, when you watch them, side by side when you when you look at the two films side by side it has really uh shown a very different australia in the kind of 50 or so years that separate these two films uh from what is a very kind of british white idea of of australia Mm. in the set to now basically every character has some kind of connection to every character has some kind of connection to an immigrant family or is you know even uh carol birch who you know Mm. at the house party was this gets a now she's now she's yeah she's um (laughs) getting married to a serbian Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) that's true it was yeah it was a real celebration of the diversity um but also acknowledging that Australia has a troubled past because I don't know if it was her character or one of the other um, yeah, racist white girls that is, is that, what does she say? She says, go back to Czechoslovakia, Slovakia. Um, yes, she's a really she ignorant thing that, to say. <laughs> Carol says that um, at the house party when they were young. And I think it just is such a perfect representation of like ignorant <laughs> yeah i don't know anything outside of australia but i'm threatened and i'm gonna try and mock you for <laughs> by combi- combining the word czechoslovakia and suvlaki <laughs> food <laughs> yeah um so what would you rate this film oh god i'm so generous to the set <laughs> I actually like this one. <laughs> I guess I'd have to give it four and a half. But if they told me more about what happened to Ebony, it would be five. <laughs> what about you? Um, I think I think I'll give it a four out of five. Nice. Um, yeah, I suspending my disbelief for this relationship that you mm-hmm. know has affected affected them over that period of time. Um, I think it was a really nicely shot film and a really, you know, like nice to look at. I enjoyed the acting uh, for Mm -hmm. the most part. And I love to see like a very real and current representation of gay life gay Australian life on the screen. Mm -hmm. I think it really did a good job of uh, showing what Australia is now um, 
Yeah, so I like that. Yeah, good. Very good points. Well, that brings us to the end of our very first episode. Thank you, listeners. We hope you enjoyed exploring queer representation in Australian cinema as much as we have. And stay tuned for more episodes of Queers Rate Stuff, where we will be back to rate more stuff. <laughs>